We'll open your Bibles to the book of Romans as we get back to our text. Yeah, we're in this uh, opening section of the you know, first you know, three chapters of this latter half, you know, 9 through 11, where the emphasis is this defense you know, you know, for the gospel and for what God has accomplished and what God is doing through that message. Chapter 9 highlight, highlighted the idea of the defense in relation to his will, the divine sovereign will that was in place and which he was revealing and implementing. Chapter 10 is going to focus on this defense in relation to Israel's own responsibility, their own obligation to God, to his sovereign will. So that's going to be the over kind of writing aspect of this defense. And once again, chapter 9, 10, 11, it, it all goes together. And of course, in the, in the effort to, to go through it and to talk about it and study it, we kind of break it up. But it would probably be very advisable for, for each one of us as we're reading each week the assigned section to really to read the entire section, all three chapters together. So you kind of see from chapter 9 all the way through chapter 11 just the amazing defense the Spirit makes on the behalf of God's will and purpose. We were summing up last week you know, at the end of chapter 9 this idea of how you know, the word of God had declared you know, beforehand, that is God predestined, God foreordained, whom he would make his saved people. You know, if you think about even Ephesians 1, before the creation of the world, God had a plan. <laughs> And he had a plan who his saved people would be ultimately through his son, the Messiah. And in this section, you know, we you know, very briefly noted the uh, prophets that are mentioned in uh, Hosea and Isaiah uh, that revealed to this idea of what God had in mind of saving his, his people. And if you take the entire Old Testament, really, Israel's history illustrates the point of chapter 9. Chapter 9 talks about this idea of vessels of mercy, vessels of wrath. And you have that contrast, you have that comparison going back and forth. But if you contemplate the entire history of Israel and the relationship God had with his chosen people, what it illustrates is God's patience the whole time with vessels of wrath as well as God bestowing of his riches upon vessels of mercy. The history of Israel illustrate that. They were both. They were recipients of God's mercy, but also they were due God's wrath. And so that history is a constant reminder that here's the sovereign God who, yes, demonstrated his character upon vessels of wrath as well as vessels of mercy. God's covenant with them all along yeah, you know, was conditional. And very briefly, I, w- I just wanted to make mention of that. You know, and it, this idea is brought out throughout you know, the Old Testament in go- through God's prophets. But go back to Exodus 19 very quickly, where you've got the covenant is being made you know, with the nation from, you know, from its inception. Now, this covenant being made is all part of God's plan. 
It's not, oh, I think I'm going to do this now. You know, this wasn't part of the plan originally, but I'm going to, no, it was all part of God's plan. But in the very, in the very beginning, you see the conditional nature of this relationship, a covenant relationship. For example, in chapter 19, verse 5, he says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, If you will do this, then you will be all that I have chosen you to be. And so you see the conditional nature of that. His promised blessings were dependent upon what? Well, it's dependent upon faithful obedience. Faith was always required. Yeah. Even with a law of works, faith was part of that relationship. And so his promised blessings upon them was based upon this big if. If you will adhere to what I'm telling you, adhere to what I'm commanding you, then you will be. I will make you this kind of people. God never promised, God never promised to bless and save all Israelites simply on their physical lineage. That was never part of God's promise. That he, I'm going to save all the Israelites just because you're born in this family. Now, being born in that family came with some blessings because that family was part of God's plan to ultimately bring the, the answer or the remedy of man's eternal problem of sin. But he never promised to save all the Israelites simply for the fact they were an Israelite. And yet, through the refinement process of God's judgment, and that's really brought out, for example, in, in the Isaiah 1 uh, text that is quoted the idea of God's refining process of judging his people illustrated that a remnant one day, a remnant of Israel, will be saved. And so that kind of very quickly kind of sums up the major portion of chapter 9. And so when you think about the weekly briefings we have, chapter 9 emphasized the idea God the sovereign justly chose to show mercy upon children of promise. And he also prepared beforehand to call Gentiles and Jews to become vessels of mercy. That's what chapter 9 is about. We're going to focus on chapter 10 today, where the emphasis is that both Jew and Gentile alike, both of them, are saved the same way. They're saved by believing and heeding the word of Jesus Christ. I actually want to begin in reading a, a, a port at the the very end of chapter 9 and the very beginning of chapter 10. So if you will, open your Bibles to chapter 9, verse 30. I want you to see the flow of the text. Even though we have in our Bibles a chapter division, I want you to see the connection of, of what it says at the end of chapter 9 with what it says at the beginning of chapter 10. You know, and so he says, as, as the Spirit guides Paul to continue to make this defense you know, for God's gospel, he says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him 
will not be disappointed. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their, for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Very quickly, I want you to see kind of this last bit of chapter 9 where he makes the point that righteousness before God is attainable. You know, a man can be righteous before God, even though he has been a sinner. He can be right, but he said it's by faith. It's not by perfect law keeping. Now, Romans begins in chapter 1 to say, who can be saved? Romans 1.16, who can be saved? One who believes in the gospel. And who's, who's that one? Who can it be? Anybody and everybody, if they'll believe in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God wants, God wants Jews to be saved. God wants Israel to be saved. You know, even though he says, but only a remnant is going to be saved. You know, we don't need to you know, question the character of God and the desire of God. No, God wants Jews to be saved, but justification is not by the law of Moses. Justification is not by perfect law keeping. It's by a system of faith through Jesus Christ. And so Roman, you know, here in Roman, in chapter 9, the point is, you know, righteous can be attained. You can be righteous, but you'll do so by faith, not by perfectly keeping God's laws. You will not save yourself by perfectly keeping God's laws. That's true under the Old Testament, and that's still true today. Why is that? Why is that? Why is, you know, why is that the reality is we will not be saved by perfect, absolute keeping of laws? We're imperfect. We're imperfect. Romans 3 says we've all sinned. And then you jump over to 1 John then. Now, 1 John, an epistle to saints, chapter 1, basically talks about deception. Did you have a question? John, John. and he says, okay, we're deceiving ourselves as Christians if we say, well, you know, I don't have any sin, you know, so no, it's not going to be by perfect law keeping. That's not to say the law of Christ is inconsequential. No, it's very important, and we better have a a sober reverence for God's word and and the word of Christ. Brother John. Just think another way of saying the same thing is that uh, salvation or righteousness can't be earned right by our keeping but that doesn't as you said doesn't mean you don't need to keep the law but it's through faith i, I think about mm-hmm. romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death wages is something you earn right so the death you know due to sin we've earned that mm-hmm. but the free gift of god is uh, eternal life in christ jesus so all of that's made possible by the blood of christ mm-hmm. so when you're saved by faith it requires the blood of Christ. You haven't earned it. Right. It's by the grace of God. Yes. And so the point here in chapter 9 is that here you've got the transgressors of the law of Moses, who, you know, the very law that these Jews and Israelites claim to be keeping, 
but they weren't. They were transgressors of it because of their unbelief. And so now, you know, the Spirit says, and now they're stumbling over the stone. And the stone is not an, uh, uh, a lifeless you know, th- you know, thing of matter, but rather it is him in whom we are to believe. That's the stone. Now they're stumbling over Christ. And Paul kind of makes the same argument in 1 Corinthians 1 when talking about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of men. And he says, you know, you know and he says, Christ is a stumbling block. Yeah, you know, and, and so Paul's making the same argument here. And so the point at the end of chapter 9 is believers in God's choice, and God's choice is Jesus, believers in that choice are the ones that are going to be, re- be saved because that's where redemption is. That's where atonement is. That's where the propitiation for our sins is. And so it ends with this idea, Gentiles have found you know, righteousness have attained righteousness because they've done so through faith. Jews have not. And so that's why in chapter 10, Paul comes back to his relationship with his physical brethren and makes the point that the fact that, you know, I really want them to be saved. You know, Paul prayerfully wanted Jews to be saved. He cared about them. Now, that, he kind of expressed that at the beginning of chapter 9, but he comes back to that. He really cares about them. You think, here is someone who's converted to Christ, and Paul is very passionate about the, his role in helping souls be saved. You know, Romans 1 t- you know, talks about how, how did Paul feel if he didn't preach Christ? How did, how did, what was Paul, in your, in your own word, how did Paul feel if he didn't preach Jesus Christ? He was, in, he was indebted, you know, so, you know, he, he, he was a debtor to be that. You know, he, he, you know, he would not have fulfilled his purpose of life if he failed to do that. And so here's a man who passionately wants people to save. He's working hard to save Gentiles and Jews alike, even though his focus becomes primarily the Gentile world because the Jews wouldn't listen to him. But he understood the gravity of rejecting Christ. You know, where can the Jew go? What can the Jew do to be saved without Christ? Nothing. Nothing. The law, you know, that God gave them, which, would, you know, which sanctified them as a holy people, that law could not save them. And why was that? What were they? They were transgressors of that law. And so now the law, the blood of what, cannot take away their sins. Yeah, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away their sins. And so all of those required sacrifices, you know, ultimately did not satisfy justice. Ultimately, the perfect means of satisfying justice is Christ. And all of that was a foreshadowing for the coming of Jesus. So the point here is the Jews, he loved them, he says, and they've got some good qualities about them. He says, you know, they are zealously devout for God, you know, but that devotion is misdirected. They miss the mark of practicing God's righteousness. And that's what he, in chapter 9, talked about. 
You know, they have this law of righteousness, but they didn't pursue it the right way. They didn't seek God's righteousness the right way. They thought they could attain it by perfect law keeping. You have a tolly over here. You know, and so, and they never attained that perfection of keeping the law. And so, you know, and so, and so you said, but they, they were still zealous. Tolly. You're probably going to get to this, but it wasn't according to knowledge. And I think it was because they didn't know God. Right. Like they should have known God. Yes. Yes. And, and that's the thing. And you think, you know, you know, one of my questions I should jot down here, you know, wh- why did they not have knowledge although they had the law of God? And that's just a thought question. I'm not looking for a specific answer. What would what, what be some of your answers? Why do they not know God, have knowledge, but yet they had the law of God? They had it right there. Why, why would that be the case? Just some thoughts. Okay. Lack of humility. Yes. Chris. Another good, you know, both of those are excellent answers, you know, and Jesus even brings up that point in dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees in his, in his, in his day, the idea of, of Bruce over here, man's traditions, man's teachings that are being, you know, taken, you know, elevated above God's word. Okay, Bruce? With them, it has always been a heart problem. Yes. They worship me with their lips, but their hearts were far from me. Excellent. You know, there's a number of questions, if you just, you know, like, you, if we take the time to think about it deeply, there's a number of right answers to that very broad question. Why, 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 do, you, why do the Jews have this problem? You know, and so Paul is saying, I want them to be saved. You know, and and there's some, they're, some commendable aspects you know, you know, to, to their lives, but they're not, they're not attaining righteousness. They're trying to attain righteousness the wrong way, and as a result, now they're without God. You know, and without God and Christ, they're without hope. And so he says there in verse 4, so Jesus, you know, some versions will say Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. One of the questions that, you know, you were given is in what sense, in what sense is Jesus the end of the law? In what sense is what he's talking about here? Huh? Yes, fulfillment. You know, the point being made here is not describing how Christ nailed the old law to the cross. That's not. There are other passages that address that point. That, you know, the law of Moses, its purpose, its role, its place was fulfilled and completed in Christ. And Christ did away with the old covenant and brought in a new covenant. That's true. But in Romans 10, that's not the point. The point is Christ is the fulfillment. Some versions may say it is the aim. Christ is the aim or the goal of the law of righteousness. And And what we mean by that is righteousness reached in Christ. Righteousness is reached through Christ, not the law of Moses. Back to Tali over here. Now, the law was designed to bring us to Christ. That's what Galatians 3 is all about, showing the purpose and the plan of God. Tali. I don't know if you've heard the term programmed obsolescence. Mm -mm. Well, things are basically created to have a period of time that they work and then they become obsolete. Right. So like our refrigerators and things, they're only made to last a few years, unfortunately. So, (laughs) so really the law had a programmed obsolescence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shorter and shorter. (laughs) In, in, a, in essence, the law, had, God had programmed it to be obsolete when Christ came. So yes. it had a programmed obsolescence, is, you know, it's just mm-hmm. a term. Right. So I just felt, you know, that 
you can apply that in that. Yes, realm. yes. And so when, you know, as Sam said, there's the whole idea, okay, the fulfillment. Yes, you know, Jesus lived under that law, you know, and he was obedient to the law. He's the only one who kept the law perfectly without ever sinning, you know. But here, his point is, righteousness is not, not going to be through that. Jesus was righteous by works, law-keeping. We are not. The only way we can be righteous is through Christ or in Christ. And so the believer in Christ is made righteous. And, so, and that's the aim. The aim is a law of righteousness is going to be fulfilled or attained through Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a new concept. Much of what Paul argues here in 9 through 11 are points that he's already introduced. For example, back in Romans 4, the same point was, is actually mentioned. Look, look at verse 3 and verse 5 very quickly. Chapter 4, he says, What does the Scripture say? Are, you know, Abraham believed God, and it was accredited him as righteousness. Yeah. By faith, by faith, you know, Abraham attained righteousness. It wasn't by his perfect, you know, sinless obedience. It was by faith. And then you drop down and you look you know, there in the same chapter, verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, once again, the book of Romans is all about bringing about an obedience of faith. And so obedience is not eliminated. The, the, point, the point is, is it takes a faith that keeps on following and doing God's will. In spite of the fact that we know we fall short of that. And our, our cleansing comes through Jesus Christ. And so you have this whole idea of this, you know, what Paul is trying to make is Jesus is the aim of this. And so when a believer, a believer in Christ, a follower, a disciple of Jesus, he is righteous, not because, oh, I'm so good, I'm so right, you know, I'm so perfect. No, he's, he becomes righteous through Christ. He clothed himself with Christ, with Christ by his faithful adherence to his teaching. And so with that said, we move really in into the main text of Romans chapter 10 here, and that is righteousness by faith is attainable. You know, see, Romans 9 has talked about this, but now the point in this chapter is, okay, yes, the, the divine will is that you can be righteous, and you can do it through the justification of faith. Chapter 10, he says, okay, but you are responsible for yourself. You know, you, you, you're responsible. You are accountable. And so if, if, if you or I are not saved, if we do not attain righteousness, it is not because we could not do it. It's because we chose not to do it. Because righteousness by faith is attainable because the word of God, this message of salvation has been revealed. Verse 5 emphasizes the idea that obviously, you know, if you're going to do it by the law of Moses, well, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have to live according to the law of Moses. And, and the point is, very simply, you know, perfect adherence is what was required of law. And the history of Israel shows, you know, they failed to do that and they, you know, and they did not do that. You know, but the point is, 
even at that time when, okay, perfect adherence you know, was what was expected, and that is basically based upon a passage in Leviticus 18, you know, those who have the law must live by the law, you know, uh, Leviticus 18, 4, and 5. But righteousness is not going to be through that. It's going to be through Christ. And so he go, and the real point is this, okay, but you, you can you can do this. Why is that? Because, because the word of faith has been preached. Verse 8. What does it say to you? The word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Can, can the Jew and can the Gentile attain righteousness by faith? Yes. Why? Because the word of God is attainable. The word of God is near us. You know, we do not have to go or we do not have to do the so-called impossible. We don't have to do that. And so you have some uh, quotations there in verse 6, 7, and 8 that are really taken from Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you will, turn back there. Obviously, hold your hand at Romans 10. Very quickly, I want you to, I want you to look at Deuteronomy 30. And you can see verse 12 is kind of where you got a portion of that text quoted. You know, in verse 12, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us? All right? And, you know, that, that's, that's part of the quotation used in Romans 10. Or even in verse 13, the idea of, you know, going to the abyss, he says, nor is it beyond the sea that you just say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us? The idea of something being far versus something being near, you know, often, you know, was not just talking about the idea of distance, but also the idea of difficulty versus ease. And so and that's the point here is, you know, here, and the thing is, this was explained to that generation that's about to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Moses has just reiterated the law to them. He has reminded them of what God's law is and what God's expectations are, and so you've got, you know, the majority of Deuteronomy there. And then notice what verse 11 and verse 14 says. I think this is very significant to understand the idea of, well, you don't have to go there and you don't have to go here. Why is that? Well, he says, verse 11 of Deuteronomy 30, this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. That's what God told the Israelites. I've given you my law. I've given you my commandments. I've given you a statute or a standard of righteousness. He says, it's not too difficult. It's not out of your reach. Verse 14, the word is very near you in your mouth, in your heart, that you may observe it. God said that to the Israelites. And then those, that same sentiment then is drawn out by the Spirit, and Paul uses it to talk about the gospel of Christ. And the point is, you know, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself. God spoke, and Israel could know God. They could know God. His word was not hidden from them. God revealed his will to them. It was not hidden. He was not deprived. What about the Gentile world who were not in that covenant relationship? You know, they were separate from it. They were alienated from all of this. And they were strangers to the covenant and the promises. You know, but for the Israelites, it was there. 
The point in Romans 10 is, is now that's true for everybody now. That's true for the Jew. That's true for the Gentile. Not, no, nobody, none of us have to go on some quest searching far and wide to find the Messiah, to find Jesus. We don't have to go, you know, this impossible task. Well, you're going to have to go up to heaven to bring him down if you're going to you know, know Jesus. Well, he's already come. He's already come in the flesh. And you don't have to go down to the abyss as in the sense you've got to bring him up from the dead. Well, he's already proven that. He's been raised from the dead. And he says, and this is the message we have preached to you. We have preached to you, Emmanuel has been raised from the dead, and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And it's believing in him that you will attain righteousness before God so you can have a relationship with him. All that is needed and all that we need you know, to, is, is here. Truth is near. And once again, the point of this chapter is emphasize the Jew, Israel, was responsible. They're responsible for the choices they made just like anybody is responsible. And they do not have an argument that will stand. They says, well, we didn't know. You know, we didn't know. He says, no. I made it available to you. I made it easy for you. I put it right there. And so you go back, you know, you go back to verse 8. The word of faith, which we are preaching. See, it is accessible. It is there. Truth is near. And if you drop down to verse 14 and 15, it talks about this idea and some, some very some rhetorical questions. Well, how, you know, how will they call, you know, you know, how will they believe, you know, how, you know, how can they hear, you know. And the point is, the word of faith which is, was preached has been made accessible. The original proclaimers of salvation, the original proclaimers of righteousness by faith were chosen apostles and chosen prophets in the New Testament, directed by the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul in Ephesians 4 talks about how, you know, the foundation has been laid, Christ the cornerstone with his apostles and prophets. And so when you read, Paul says, when you read what I've written, you can know the mystery because it has been revealed to us through the apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. That's the point. Now, I think there is there's an there's a idea here where, over here, Andrew, there's an idea here. Obviously, there's application where we can say, okay, still there's, there's the need to preach the gospel, and preachers need to go forth and preach that gospel. You know, but the point here in chapter, chapter 10, verse 4 and 15, is not, it's not, the point here is not the great commission that is ongoing. The point here is God preached it. How did he do it? Well, he sent men out into the world, guided by the Holy Spirit, and they proclaimed the truth. Andrew. Uh, what you were just saying reminds me about Naaman, where in 2 Kings 5, the servant girl says, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? I think as people, we sometimes 
that idea that it's near and that it makes sense and that it's accessible, people like to overcomplicate things and think they have to find some great deep truth. Mm -hmm. And this is a great reminder that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to come up with something new. And, you know, we see that all the time in today's mm -hmm. day and age about some new way, some new discovery, uh, right. but it's already near and it's already here. Mm -hmm. Very good. Someone else, another comment? If you think about the, the first century labors, you know, were effective. That first century, you know, the labors, you know, the workers in, in the vineyard, in the kingdom in the first century, effectively reached whom? Everyone. And Paul kind of refers to that a couple of times in Colossians 1. For example, over in Colossians 1, verse 3, it talks about the word of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, which he had preached and he was preaching. So you look there in the first chapter, Colossians, you know, just glance at verse 6. You know, verse 5 talks about, you, know, you heard the word of truth, the gospel. Verse 6, which has come to you. Talk about you know, the saints in Colossae, just as in where? It's come to you in Colossae, just as where? The whole world. All. Just as in all the world, also it constantly bearing fruit and increasing. In the same chapter, verse 23, and there's another kind of uh, reference to that. It says, if you indeed, once again, there's that conditional nature. We have to walk and continually walk by faith in Christ. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly, steadfast, not moved away from the hope, the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Go back to the idea, okay? You, you, you've received the gospel. Keep it. Hold to it. You know, you know, don't reinvent the gospel. You know, it has the power to save you. But he goes on, which you have heard there in Colossae, and he goes on, which was proclaimed where? In all creation under heaven. And so, think, so the argument here is, okay, righteous by faith is attainable. It is, it is near. You know, you don't have to go far and wide in a sense. Do you have to seek God? Yes. Do you need to seek the truth through, through the gospel? Yes. You know, we need, do we need to seek righteousness? Yes. In that context, yes, there is, there is a responsibility and accountability. But do I have to go wide, you know, wide and far to do this? No. I just got to go to the word of faith. I just got to go to the gospel of Christ. I just got to go to the, to the Bible and it, and it will show me what I need and tell me what I need to know. It is accessible because the Holy Spirit worked through preachers in the first century. And we are called to take that same message, to wield the same living sword to convert hearts today. It's accessible today as it was then. And this message of faith, uh, Leanne right there, this message of faith, it's open to everybody. You know, when it, particularly you see, you, see, you see that, for example, in verse 12, he says, we're talking, once again, God makes no distinction. You know, you have the same Lord is Lord of everybody. And the richness that comes from him is for all of those who are going to call on him. Leanne. I just wanted to say, um, you know, um, when people come fall away from the gospel and stuff like that, um, it's our job 
to lead them back to the gospel, and that's part of this um, um, this preaching and, and teaching the gospel. And one of the things I, I do is I, I tell them, first of all, I tell them there's no sin that can't be forgiven because all sins can be forgiven. But then I tell them to open the word and to read the word of God because I don't have all the answers to everything. But these people, they'll come to you at the least, at the, they'll come to you, people especially out of the world, they'll just come up to you and be like, like I'm curious or I want to know what you believe or I see that you're so happy, I want to know what you believe. That's how you preach the gospel. That's how you spread the gospel is by by your example and by um, helping these people learn the truth because so many people in the world are so confused about what the truth is uh, because the world has one version and God has another version. So through your actions and words and deeds, that's how you preach the gospel and that's how you continue this legacy of, of preaching the gospel. Thank you very much. Any other comments? Over here, Chris. Often I've, I've talked to people who have this belief-only requirement uh, to be saved. Um, mm -hmm. and then, uh, but if we look in verse 8 of chapter 10 of Romans, uh, let's see, I'm sorry, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So um, it, ha it, it shows an additional requirement. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just belief, but confession is required too. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, while it doesn't directly mention baptism here, we can see, okay, there are some places that say belief is all that's needed. But now we see uh, a belief and a confession um, unto salvation uh, in verse 10. It's, mm -hmm. it's all, uh, it, right. it, it just opens up another dimension of, of what we're it supposed does. to do. Mm -hmm. And I've heard the argument that we don't do works, like works do not save us. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you define a work as just an action, mm -hmm. it's just something that we do, um, that, that opens it up to a lot of things. But what, what we need to find out is what works are required or mm -hmm. what, and, and, and I think the point of the works <coughs> is that it's not about us. It's not mm -hmm. about that we did it, but that it was provided for us as an avenue. Mm -hmm. Very good, yes. And with that said, just kind of move right in, you know, kind of go to our next slide here. And that's the point, you know, that Chris was making and that, okay, yes, righteousness is, by faith is going to come through a message, you know, the truth that is uh, near us. We can know it. We can read it. We can understand it. You know, but also, you know, that righteousness of faith does submit to Christ. You know, and it submits to Christ, as Chris was pointing out, we, we submit in the way that Christ has directed us to do it. And the point, very simply, is there is something to do. You know, there is something every person needs to be doing by faith. And, and what, is, what we're called to do is something that everybody can do by faith. Once again, God is not asking us to do something that is impossible, unattainable. We can walk by faith. Back here. A young lady. The Jews were really good at knowing what not to do. And when Jesus came, he told them what to do. And they 
aren't they just the perfect example of a child and a parent relationship? Where when your kids are little, you're like, don't do this, don't do this. And they're really good at following that. But then they're teenagers. And you're like, now what are you going to do? And they didn't know what to do. They were like, well, okay, you're saying do this, but what are we actually supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they were just so stuck in that we can't do this, we're not supposed to do this. When he's saying you need to be doing this, it's mm-hmm. like they couldn't wrap their brains around it. They were just, they had to have those really strict parameters mm-hmm. where Jesus came and was like, no, that's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. It's about the faith that comes with it, not just the, the action that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's a very good point. Yeah, Brother Danny right there, David. God always, God always requires us to do something. The doing here in this passage is in the calling. Mm-hmm. In verse uh, 12, he saves those that call upon him. Verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the believer has to call. And how does he call? Mm-hmm. He calls when he's baptized. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're calling upon God to do what he promised to do, which is to forgive you of your sins. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's when he does it, when, you do the, when the believer does the calling. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you know, when you, you know, I'll just go ahead and kind of put up the whole slide here. And when you, when you kind of start looking at all the different facets here of, okay, righteous my faith involves you know, you know, actions of faith, you know, doing you know, what we're called to do. You know, and, and clearly what, we're gonna, what you notice here, first of all, you know, God does not just miraculously make a person believe. You know. he, he's not going to force someone to believe. But faith is going to be based up, uh, upon truth. And so the testimony of truth has been revealed. There you got, you got the gospel. And every individual must choose whether they're going to believe this testimony. You're going to believe the word of Christ or not. And so, so there, there's the idea. Okay, it's based upon truth. But once again, like Brother Danny said, the action in, you know, really emphasized here is the die of calling. And of course, and then you have to expound on what's involved in that calling. But you know, a believer must call. He must call on the name of the Lord. That implies action, you know, actions of faith. You know, and, it's, and if, if someone believes, but they never call on the name of the Lord, what kind of faith is that? It's a dead faith. You know, if, if a believer never calls, as t- taught about here, on the, on the Lord's name here, you know, he says, well, then that is a dead faith. And so it implies action, but the idea of calling really carries it out of invoking and submitting, you know, to the one who has authority. You know, if Jesus is Lord, and he is, he is Lord of Lord and King, he has the authority. And so I'm going to invoke, I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to reach out to his authority and I'm going to submit to that authority. Why is that? Because I'm putting my absolute, complete trust in him, but also I'm do, doing that in his word, in the word of faith that has been preached and revealed to us. And you have examples of people calling. Go back to the example you know, that Danny used there. You have examples of this, the action of this calling is not just a verbal thing alone, but you see the action of faith at work. For example, Acts 2, Peter quotes from Joel. This expression, whoever will call the name of the Lord will be saved, is taken from Joel 2. He quotes from that in Acts 2, 21. And then over in, in verse 37, you know, the people ask a question. And what was the question? Very simply, what shall we do? 
You know, they've just heard about Jesus and they really, they've been convicted in their hearts. We have killed the very one we were looking for. He is the son of God. He is our savior. He's the Lord. He's the Christ. And they now say, well, what can we do now? So clearly, you know, they, they, they understand my calling on the Lord involves some action. I need to do something. And they're told what they need to do right then. And it wasn't the all-consuming thing. It wasn't the only thing they needed to do. But what they needed to do right then as believers who are now wanting to call is they needed to be repent and be baptized. And that's exactly what Acts twenty two sixteen teaches. We're gonna have to stop right there. Once again, but if you think about all the different things that talk to here, the idea of right by faith will submit to Christ because of faith in the way Christ teaches. Thank you very much.